Let's pray. Lord, we come now to the feeding of our souls. Lord, we know that Your Word is so good. We pray that You will give us the sustenance that we need. We pray that You will give us the truth, that You will stir in our hearts a zeal for You and Your Word. Lord, we pray that You will do a wondrous work in each of us today. That none of us will remain unchanged. That we will come from this place. We will go in our separate ways. And you'll spread us like seed with truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, may this sermon, may this passage do that wondrous work that each of us need this morning. Lord, we pray that you'll do it for Pillar Church of 29 Palms also. That as Pastor Roy brings the message this morning that it will not fall on deaf ears, but it will resonate deeply and have lasting change. Both on your people and as you call more, that they will come to the saving knowledge. And they too will be transformed and forever changed. Lord, we pray for Pastor DJ as we have all month. We thank you for his ministry of Reach All Nations, training our brothers to shepherd your people in hard places. Lord, I pray that you will sustain him and Abigail. Pray that you will strengthen their marriage, that you will protect their family. And Lord, that you will help Pastor VJ to endure, to keep going. Lord, we pray that you will send maybe one of the pastors from Reach All Nations, maybe a brother or sister here in this congregation to the Kumbi people of India. 17 million people who have yet to hear of the good news of Jesus Christ. They think they serve millions, hundreds of millions of gods. Lord, what burden they carry. Lord, free them from that. Lord, I pray that you will enable brothers and sisters in Christ to go to the Kumbi to tell them that they can be set free. They cannot and they don't have to work to get into your good graces. They receive salvation through faith, not works. God, I pray that you will help the few Kunbi believers to grow and be bold in their sharing of the gospel regardless of what comes at them, whether it be persecution or the suffering that they have endured. Lord, I pray that their love for you and for their fellow people will override whatever fears and doubt they may have. Lord, strengthen Your people. Do a wondrous work. Lord, we pray for our own area. Help us not to succumb to the day, the pressures, and be distracted in this day. Lord, so many of us get so distracted so easily. Help us, God, to stay focused on our created purpose, on the reasons why You have saved us. To be beacons, to be ambassadors of the good news. Use this day for that, Lord, we pray. Amen. Well, we are still in 1 Timothy chapter 1 this morning. Whereas we've only done 17 verses so far in this series, we have come a long way, haven't we? 
We know that there have been issues at Ephesus that Timothy was supposed to remain there to, to fight false teachers. And Paul has written him a letter encouraging him to do so. Before we get into the explanation of the passage, I want to make just a few, I guess, preliminary remarks. Every parent here knows raising kids is hard work. It takes commitment. There is a lot that we pour into our kids. As parents, we teach our kids not to fight. Yeah, we just read in our passage about waging war. So I want to just do a few preliminary comments about that just so we're all on the same page. What we teach our children is not at odds with what this passage is saying and vice versa. What God is telling us is not contrary to how we want our children to grow. It's not good when our children argue and they get into fights. Oftentimes, it's with a sister or a brother, maybe a friend or someone they can't get along with. And generally, it's over petty things when they're honest with themselves. And as parents, we see that. Things that don't really matter. It's frustrating. We teach our kids and they go through this and they fight and we teach them and they act accordingly and then they may fight. I'm not speaking of anyone or anything in particular this morning. Just a general comment for, for what parents go through. I just wanted to make that, that clear. It is frustrating. It, it takes time correcting and disciplining. But you don't have to be a parent to know what I'm talking about. You don't have to be raising kids to know what's behind what I'm saying here. Every person here, I'm sure... When you were growing up, you were told by someone in your upbringing that you needed to stop bickering. You needed to stop fighting with someone. And I'm pretty sure it was more than once. Each of us have been in that boat. These kinds of fights raise from within a heart a mindset that's not set on God but motivated and focused on self. The other person not giving me what I want. I deserve better. I want that that I can't have. It's a lot of me and I involved. When that attitude is displayed, frankly, it shows the evil that's still within. And if not checked, it will grow and harden a life that's blinded and contrary to Christ. So it's good as parents. It's good as each of us, as each person, and it's right for us not to fight like that. We should teach our children not to quarrel with others, but instead serve others. As the body of Christ, whether you have kids or, or not, as members of this church, 
We need to look out for the children God has given to us in our care, helping to teach that this kind of fighting is not good. God is not honored like that. Now, in the larger context of life, there exists fighting between nations and people. History is full of wars. All of you history buffs know all about these wars from antiquity until today. War is part of life. Wars go on today. Now, war itself is not good, but sometimes it's necessary, isn't it? A number of us here in the congregation have served in the military. We see military service as honorable and good. Some of us have served in war. We have fought evil and prevented wicked men from doing great harm, greater harm. So we're not against all fighting. When we teach our kids not to fight, we're not telling them cease all fighting. There is such a thing as a good fight. There are just wars. So we don't teach here at Redeemer Church to avoid fighting at all costs. And war as we know it is not the only kind of war. The Bible contains lots of battles. God's people fighting under His banner. God is not opposed to war. There is a good, righteous fighting that honors God. In the Old Testament, God at various times used war to cast judgment on nations that refused to bow before Him. So God is not against war. In fact, before men warred against each other, there began war for souls in the heavenly realm. This is a good fight. It is a fight in which every Christian is engaged. There is no neutral standing in this war for the soul. There's two sides. You're either for one side or you're for the other. There are times in which we must fight. We are not pacifists when it comes to defending truth. If we do not contend for the faith, charlatans, counterfeits, false teachers get to represent God's people, the church, unhindered. Thus making a mockery of the faith and there will be casualties littering the streets. It is right. It is good to battle for the truth. This is just. It means setting our sights, though, not on ourselves. That's what we teach our children. That's what each of us We're taught not to set our sights on ourselves, but on God and His truth. He has truth and He's given it to His church. Thus, we fight to keep that truth. Not only is there this great cosmic battle that we engage in, war exists in the Christian life, in your own life. The Bible contains all kinds of different descriptions of the Christian life. 
being part of a family, being a farmer, an athlete, a servant, and a soldier, a warrior. Several passages in the New Testament use military language. Ephesians chapter 6, beginning in verse 10, speaks of putting on the armor of God. You don't do that sitting by the poolside. You put on the armor to be ready for war. In Philippians chapter 2, 25, Paul lets the Philippian church know that he is sending several believers to their aid. He calls them fellow soldiers. In Philemon verse 2, Paul describes Archippus as a fellow soldier. There it is again. In Jude, verse 3, Jude tells believers to contend or fight for the faith. Sadly, most Christians live as if there is no war. They live as if they're not part of a war. It is not a physical battle that we see, so this then makes us careless and apathetic. We become preoccupied with temporary things and inconsequential matters. We've become oblivious to this deadly struggle when in reality we're standing right in the midst of it. We're part of it. Church, if we would only open our spiritual eyes to the reality in which we are in, we are at war. And Christ is worth contending for. He's worth fighting for. We have good reason to magnify Christ with Paul who said in verse 17, To the King of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be glory forever and ever. Amen. God has snatched us out of death's grip and called us into His marvelous light where we receive grace and mercy forever. This is how we are Christians. Because Christ stood in our place and took on the wrath that we deserve. And because He's the righteous Son of God, He gave His righteousness to us in mercy. And now His grace overflows to us in faith and love. We are in a posture of praise and thanksgiving to our God who saves sinners like us. The Son of God is worth fighting for. We praise Him and we fight. We praise Him and we fight. We praise Him and we fight. That is the Christian life. At Ephesus, who Christ is was under attack. Today, His great name and what He accomplished on the cross for us is under attack. The truth of who Christ is is constantly being undermined and assaulted. Upholding His great, glorious name is worth fighting for. His name is worth fighting for But there's also attacks on his church, and she is worth defending. Both outside and inside the church, the wider umbrella of Christianity is today under constant bombardment. The church is threatened on every side. 
the tripe from prosperity gospel preachers and the world's depravity bang like a battering ram against the church door. They must not be allowed in. It takes a fight, a struggle. Christ's name is worth fighting for. His church is worth defending. And the lost are worth fighting for. Each heart is a battleground. In our culture, this doesn't sound tolerant. It's not PC to talk that way. We're told we need to be tolerant. And here I am, I'm telling you, to fight. If you truly love Christ and you love your neighbor, you must fight for them. They are in desperate need of saving. God's wrath is aimed at those you know who don't know Christ. The devil has them in their grasp, feeding them lies, and they are utterly helpless. Helpless. If they are to be saved from the power of Satan and turn from their own darkness to the light, God says it's us. We are his agents. 2 Corinthians 4, 6. For God who said, let the light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. He has shown in our hearts so that we will then share the good news of Jesus Christ with those who are helpless. God saves us so He will save those around us as well. They are created in His image, but sin has them trapped. This is why they need you. They need to know how you were set free. They, were, they will fail at everything they try to do to break free, just like you. Just like you did. They will try everything in their power to break free of the guilt and the shame that's within them. They need you to tell them. They need you to fight for them. To share the good news of the gospel. They need to know about Jesus. They need you to fight for them and give them the only truth that will set them free. This is what Paul is telling Timothy here in our passage. Timothy was in ministry. He was a vocational leader. Paul is telling Timothy, not only does he need to teach the right doctrines, to teach the good things about Christ, he needs to gear up for war. He needs to engage. Although he was young, people may have looked down on Timothy because of his age. There were people on the opposite side of the truth. His age didn't matter. Paul doesn't say to Timothy, well, just just stay safe. Just hunker down, go into a bunker, make sure you're safe, make sure those that, that you really, really care about are safe, and then wait until the threat passes over. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say, avoid the war. Let others do the fighting for you. You're too young. He doesn't say that either. He doesn't say appease everybody so that there won't be a war. He doesn't say that either. No, this book is book-ended. It begins and it ends with charges to Timothy. 
Paul has already told Timothy earlier in chapter 1, I charge you, Timothy, I command you like a leader handing you orders, deal with the false teachers. And remember the goal of this command, that God's love is displayed and shared and that it comes from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Not only is Timothy supposed to fight false teaching, Paul ends his letter beginning in chapter 6, verse 11. As for you, O man of God, flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfast, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus, who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will display at the proper time. He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. Timothy, your ministry is a battle. All of it. Not just one area. All of ministry. Every aspect of ministry is war. Here are your marching orders. This is the same for all Christians. All believers are in ministry. We involve ourselves with people, which means we involve ourselves in battling sin. We are at war. The signs of war are all around us. Peter tells us, abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your own soul. Paul says in 2 Corinthians, the enemy can infiltrate. Just like in a war, there can be sneak attacks. Even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Be on the lookout and don't let them in. But we do not fight this war alone. Together, as the church, we stand for, we contend for, we represent and proclaim the authentic, the unadulterated gospel of Jesus Christ. And it is his spirit that engages the enemy and has victory. As we do our part, teaching the right doctrines of the faith, fighting for the truth, keeping the faith, and God saves more and more people, that means more sin to battle. If we are a healthy church, then we will have some who God has graciously matured. He has graciously grown them in the faith so they can then help weaker brothers and sisters and new Christians will be trained for this battle. The war will go on. There is no pause button in this life. We must fight. We must wage the good warfare. You see, there's no difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament. There are some who want to make the difference. It it was different. Maybe God was more aggressive, had more aggression back in the Old Testament. And today in the New Testament, he's he's more nice. He has more grace. No, 
This is the same gracious God. His grace is pouring over every page in the Bible, Old and New Testaments, and it's the same war. The weapons of battle may be different. Today, we have all of Scripture. We have the Holy Spirit. We have the church, but it's still warfare. We're still battling. The first point about this war is realizing the nature of this war. It is spiritual. We do not war against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. The new covenant in which Christ enacted is more spiritual and heavenly, has a heavenly, eternal emphasis to it. We look at everything now with an eternal perspective. And we see the war we're fighting is really a spiritual one. Because of this, we don't use physical weapons, but we use spiritual ones. Like God's word, prayer, righteousness, and hope in Christ. The second point to take from our passage is you are to contend for the fight, for the faith. Reading this text... As Paul begins, since Paul says to Timothy, I entrust you, Timothy, my child, you may be tempted to think that this text doesn't apply to you, but it does. While this charge is given to Timothy, in verse 19, it makes it applicable to all Christians. By rejecting a good conscience, some have made a shipwreck of their faith, and a good conscience is needed for the fight of the faith. Without it, a person strays. It began by wandering from the truth, the doctrines of the faith, and then they lost the battle. They shipwrecked their faith. Whether you have realized it or not, you are part of this battle. You must pick a side. The battle is about being Christ-like in your own life, and having a laser-like focus on his glory and his purposes of redemption. Remember, love is our aim. It is our charge. Be like Christ, who is love. Have love for God that burns super hot, and love others with that same love. Another reason we are to contend for the faith, we are to wage warfare, is because it is a good fight. It is good. And it's good because God is good. His cause is good. I remember knocking on a man's door one time and we got into a conversation about God. And he had such a warped view about God. He had such a wrong view about God. God is a good God. So many people think because their life is hard, is hard and they hear that God is in control of everything, that he must not be good. But that is so wrong. That's why we're given the example of Job in the Bible. He lost everything. And the Lord was so full of compassion and mercy. When things happen in life, 
What we don't see is the infinite God in His wisdom working all things so that Christ will be adored, that He'll be sought after, and His people will be then transformed to be like Him. He's stripping all the attachment to this world away. He is a good God. So we see that every Christian is engaged in this war, that every heart is where it is waged, and it is a good fight. It is the most important fight that we can be a part of. We now need to know how to fulfill this command. And it's in verse 19. By holding faith in a good conscience. We have to hold on to our faith in Christ. It is active. It's holding. It's continual. It is not a single decision for Christ and then we move on with the rest of of our life. We receive God's grace holding on to Christ and not letting go of him. His blood-stained, nail-pierced hand is a resurrected hand that overcomes guilt and shame and doubt and fear. We hold on to him and we keep trusting him that he will always keep us and prevent us from falling back into darkness. It is a faith that constantly confesses He is the Christ, our Lord and Savior. It is His accomplished work alone that deals with the problem of our sin. He is our only hope. We don't receive Christ and then work to be good. Only in Christ are we purified. And staying in Him are we made into holy saints of God. No other doctrine saves and no other gospel saves. This faith we're given is not a faith of our own doing. We know that our faith comes from God. We must not stop calling upon Christ and run to Him knowing how weak we are, how desperate in need of Him we are. Recognize that all things are from God. This then includes your faith. You cannot presume that you can live out this command to fight the fight of faith on your own. You need grace to do it. This is why Paul says to Timothy that he should fight according to the prophecies which were made of him. This is reliance on God and His Word to do it. We don't know exactly what was said of Timothy. Later in chapter 4, verse 4, 14, Paul writes, Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands upon you. Timothy, you were set apart for this purpose of battling for the faith. Hold on to the God who set you apart for this purpose. Remember Him and don't forget His Word given to you. We cannot forget His word given to us. We are entrusted with this battle according to His word. We fight in this good fight. We fight this good war by holding on to faith and it is with a good conscience. We fight to believe and we fight to then live out that belief in the way Christians should. There's a link here between having faith and a good conscience. You can't have one without the other. It is both. Paul already mentioned in verse 5 a good conscience. 
A good conscience recognizes sin for what it is and seeks forgiveness for it. A good conscience depends on divine grace to be who God calls us to be. Knowing the difference between right and wrong and choosing right. Enabling you to live consistently in the light of the gospel of Christ without regret. We need to hold on to the faith to trust in Jesus Christ and keep a good conscience. Lastly, we contend, we fight this war by taking note of those who have shipwrecked their faith. Paul gives Timothy a warning pointing out two men, Hymenaeus and Alexander, who rejected the call to war and ruined their faith. This doesn't happen overnight. It is, it's like a slow drift. A soft current at, at night, floating down away. It's thinking you have it all together, that you got it all figured out. You no longer need Christ like you once did. It's being distracted by the temporary instead of living for the eternal. We've all heard of, pre- of preachers in recent years that this has happened to. But it's not just them. None of us are immune to that. None of us. There are some in our own community who have rejected the call to war. Christ is no longer their commander. The idea of Christ and what He promises has morphed into some kind of pleasurable living now. He's now just someone who gives them things to live a comfortable life instead of the battle that He wages. Their lives look more like a cruise ship than a fierce battle for souls. Shipwrecks in Paul's day meant lives were lost. It was certain death. They drowned in these shipwrecks. This is what happens to those who stop confessing Christ, who no longer trust Him. Their conscience becomes seared and they drown. Don't let it happen to you. They are a warning to us. Paul says he handed them over to Satan so that they learn not to blaspheme. God is dishonored by those who change any aspect of the faith. He is dishonored when He calls you to war and you say, no, not now. Oh, maybe later. That is not honoring the great commander, the great God. God is dishonored by those who change any aspect of their faith, of those who claim to believe and yet live lives contrary to what they say they believe. Christ's name is worth more than that. His church is threatened by that. The lost are deceived by that way of thinking. These kinds of people need to be removed. Their place is with Satan He is who they are really living like. They belong to Him. For their sake, they need to see. And for your sake, you need to see that as well. The hope is they will see their dishonor in God, that they're blaspheming the one they should be reverencing and humbly walking with. This is the war we are engaged in. And it's not just to Timothy. It's not just to the church at Ephesus. It's to every believer, wage the good warfare. Contend for the faith. Fight the good fight. You don't sit this one out. You don't get to to say, well, maybe later. 
No, we are called to war in this life. The place for you is on the front line, battling against sin by the Spirit, both your own and others, fighting under the banner of Christ, trusting in Christ, depending on His Spirit to work in you and through you for His great name, and His banner will be raised. Which side are you on? Which side are you on? You call yourselves Christians. Let's wage the good fight. See the grace that you need to fight. Know that it's all for love. It's love ultimately for the God who gives His love freely. And it's a love for others. And never stop fighting. Let's pray.